Hi everyone and welcome. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what day it is? Do you know that today is Wednesday, October 4th, and it's time for your midweek Bible study? Well, it is. Welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join me. Today, we're completing our study in the book of Titus, and we're going to be studying Titus chapter 3. We conclude our short study of Titus, only three chapters, as you know. In this final chapter, Paul is reminding Titus of seven positive behaviors and seven contrasting sins, which he insists are to be taught correctly. In addition, false teachers were to be cut off and not given a public platform. We'll also talk about how believers should not waste time bickering, but focus on good works and urgent needs. And lastly, we'll find in this passage that salvation is entirely the result of God's grace, not of our own deeds. That's a lot of ground to cover, but it's going to be awesome. So before we do any of that, let's have an opening word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just adore you and thank you. Majestic Lord, how great are you? How worthy are you? Lord, we are just here to learn today from you. So, Father, we open our hearts to you. Teach us from your word today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, get your Bible or Bible app out and open to Titus chapter 3. We're going to cover all 15 verses today, starting with verse 1. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Christ Jesus our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I am planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Everyone here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to all the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. All right, this is going to be exciting, isn't it? All right, here we go. Verse 1, it says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, 
always ready to do what is good. Our opening question today is this. Right away, Paul uses the word remind. It's the first word, in fact, of the verse. What is he reminding Titus of? And he also gives three specific commands. What are they? The word remind tells us that these teachings are not new. They're probably instructions taught by Paul when he was in Crete with Titus. As for those three commands, first, believers are to submit to the government and its officers. As the believers awaited the return of Christ and living eternally with him in his government, they had to live under worldly authorities. So Paul explained how believers in Crete could do that best by subjecting themselves to government rulers and authorities by obeying civil laws. He did not want any trouble with the authorities that would bring the church under suspicion. Second, Titus is to teach believers to be obedient. Christians understand obedience to the government in different ways. While there are different interpretations about this, I believe all Christians agree that we are to live at peace with the state as long as the state allows us to live by our religious convictions. And third, Titus was to teach believers to be ready to do what is good, or in other words, to have a willingness to serve. No doubt Christians who obeyed the government gave a good witness for their faith among the authorities. Christians active in community service and or government had great opportunities to witness for Christ. Next is verse 2. It reads, They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Here's our question. This verse contains four more commands Titus is to remind believers of. What are they? First, let me say that these bridge-building characteristics revealed changed lives and made the gospel message attractive to unbelievers. In fact, all Christians should check their conduct against these traits. The first command is that they not slander anyone. This meant Christians were not to spread evil rumors or gossip. Believers were not to be caught making reports about others that would prove untrue. We should be like Christ who did not retaliate when he was insulted. The second command was they must avoid quarreling. This meant to be peaceable. Christians were to be known as peacemakers in their relationships and within the church. There may be disagreements, but the believers should avoid not the disagreement, but quarreling about it. When disagreements degenerate into quarreling, there's little possibility of preserving peace and working toward a real solution. The third command was that they should be gentle. The Greek term for gentle meant suitable or fair-minded. Believers were not to be violent or hot-tempered, especially church leaders. And the fourth command was that believers should show true humility to everyone. In other words, they were to extend kindness both to believers and non-believers without any strings attached. Next up, verse 3. It reads, Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil, and we hated each other. Here's the question. This verse lends insight into Paul and Titus's lives. What does it say about them, and what are the seven specific sins common to unbelief that are shown here? The Cretans had a reputation for certain vices, yet Paul well understood that all believers once were sinners and had lived far from God. Paul never forgot the change that God made in his life, beginning with his experience on the Damascus Road. I would encourage you to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22 to be reacquainted with that. Paul included himself, Titus, the believers in Crete, 
and all believers across the world in the list of those past rebels. Regarding the seven sins, foolish is used here as it is in Proverbs for those who arrogantly rebel against God and go their own way. Instead of being submissive, obedient, and ready to do good, they were disobedient toward God because of sin and misled by false teachers so that they became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Without God, all unbelievers are enslaved to their passions and desires. Left alone, human nature can only go from bad to worse. Instead of avoiding slander and quarrels, being peaceful, considerate, and humble, their lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. No matter how much love the world tried to create without God, the overriding power of sin produces a greater amount of hatred. So there's no hope for sinful humanity apart from the intervention of the Holy God, our Creator. Next, let's look at verses 4 through 6. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Christ Jesus our Lord. The question is, these verses explain the origin of the change from immoral living to a changed life. What is it that they say? Fortunately for us, God intervened. God's kindness and love appeared in the human form of Jesus Christ. By his death, he saved us from the punishment we deserved for disobeying God. He offered this salvation because of his mercy alone, not because we deserved it by doing good things. Paul summarized what God does for us when he saves us. God washed away our sins. As Paul explains the transaction, when believers receive this washing of new birth, all sins, not merely some, are washed away. We gain new life with all its treasures. The process is complete. We can experience what we have in new ways, but we receive the whole package. We live a new life because of the Holy Spirit, whom he generously poured out upon us through Christ Jesus, our Savior. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in these verses because all three participate in the work of salvation. Based upon the redemptive work of his Son, the Father forgives and sends the Holy Spirit to wash away our sins and continually renew us. Next up, verse 7, it says, Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Here's the question. This verse continues comments on salvation, which Paul began in verse 4. What is he saying here? From Adam, we inherited guilt, a sinful nature, in other words, the tendency to sin, and God's punishment. Because Jesus took the punishment we deserve for sin and made us right before God, we can trade punishment for forgiveness. We have been made right in his sight, or in other words, declared not guilty. We can trade our sin for Jesus' righteousness. When we do that, we know we will inherit eternal life. Eternal life began the moment we gave our life to Christ, but there's more to come. Our experience now is only a foretaste of what God has guaranteed to us in the future. Next, verse 8, it says, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. The question is, what is the trustworthy saying Paul is referring to? And also, what is he insisting on in this verse? The things Paul wrote, especially in verses 4 through 7, were trustworthy or true, so Titus ought to constantly insist on them. 
the believers must devote themselves to doing good, or in other words, to show their beliefs through their conduct. Sound doctrine must manifest itself in good works. Such teaching and action are good and beneficial for everyone, believers as well as the unbelievers to whom the church witnesses. Now Paul turns his attention to final remarks and greetings, starting with verse 9 through 15. Let's find out what he says. Here's verse 9. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. The question is, after giving Titus many positive instructions in the previous verses, Paul tells Titus several areas which he should avoid. What are they? First, Titus was to avoid foolish discussions. Bickering over certain issues is poisonous to the Christian life. Paul took this so seriously that in verse 10, he commands Titus to completely cut off a divisive person after giving him a second warning. Second, Titus was to avoid foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees. This sounds like an odd point, but certain false teachers took great pride in proving that they were direct descendants of Abraham. This may have also included imaginary pedigrees of angels. Those were needed, so the false teachers said, because believers had to worship angels as well as God. The bottom line was that instead of comparing family history, Titus was to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Titus was commanded to avoid quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. In fact, he wasn't even to bother answering the false teacher's pretentious positions. This didn't mean that the church leaders should refuse to study, discuss, and examine different interpretations of the difficult Bible passages. Paul was warning against petty quarrels, not honest discussions that leads to wisdom. As foolish arguments develop, they should rebuke the false teaching and turn the discussion back to a helpful and profitable direction. Meanwhile, the faithful minister should continue to emphasize those truths that God wants taught. Next, let's look at verses 10 to 11. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. In these verses, Paul adds a warning to those who insist on stirring up division in the church. What is it? Interestingly, Paul gave a similar warning at the end of Romans 16, verses 17 to 20, and follows Jesus' pattern in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. Besides avoiding the false teachers' debates, Titus needed to take specific action toward the false teachers themselves, as with anyone who is causing divisions among the believers. Even more than their doctrine, the church-wrecking behavior had to be stopped. While false teachers outside the church were to be avoided, a person inside the church must be warned not to cause division or threaten the unity of the church. Paul allowed for two warnings before having nothing more to do with them because they have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. A person's refusal to stop teaching false doctrine and to stop causing division in the church, even after being lovingly admonished, is evidence of severe stubbornness. If I may add a note here, a local church cannot modify its doctrine for every new idea or accommodate every person's viewpoint. It may be better to risk having a member leave for another church that emphasized his or her theological hot button than to try to be a church that caters to every conceivable theological taste. A church cannot get to the important work of evangelism and service to others if the theological base is shaky or if the church is embroiled in theological controversy. Next is verse 12. It says, 
I am planning to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. As soon as one of them arrives, do your best to meet me in Nicopolis, for I have decided to stay there for the winter. The question is, as Paul begins to draw to a close this letter, he says to Titus several facts. He gives him several facts about his current situation. What are those facts? Well, we don't know anything, first of all, about Artemis. Tychicus was one of Paul's trusted companions and a messenger. In fact, he delivered the letters of Ephesians and Colossians to the churches in those cities. You can read about that in Ephesians 6.21 and Colossians 4.7. Paul planned to send one of the men to Crete to fill in for Titus so Titus could go meet Paul. We don't know Paul's location at the writing of this letter, but he noted here that he wanted to winter in Nicopolis. Nicopolis was a city in Macedonia in western Greece. Now, verse 13 says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. The question is, here Paul asks Titus to help two other friends of his. What is Titus supposed to do to help them? We don't know anything about Zenos the lawyer, except that he would have been an expert in the law, either Hebrew or Roman law, depending on his nationality. But in studying further, I find that his name is Greek, so you could assume that he was probably the expert in Roman law. Apollos was a famous Christian preacher, a native of Alexandria in North Africa. He became a Christian in Ephesus and was trained by Aquila and Priscilla. From the context, it appears that Zenos and Apollos were on a preaching mission and may have even delivered this letter to Titus. So Titus, as the leader of the churches in Crete, should be an example to the believers, encouraging hospitality and financial assistance in order that these missionaries would be helped with their trip and have everything that they need. Verse 14 says, our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent need of others. Then they will not be unproductive. The question is, in this verse, Paul adds yet another plea. What is it? Paul repeats his words of verses 1 and 8 again by stressing the importance of learning to do good by meeting the urgent need of others. Speaking to the Cretan believers as our people, Paul urged them to focus these good works on providing for urgent needs. Taking on normal responsibilities ensured that no one would be unproductive. Paul's view of productivity differs radically with today's view. Most people think being productive means being affluent, achieving notoriety, or holding some kind of a high position. But Paul emphasized good deeds and fruitful Christian ministry to the needs of others. We must remember that it is the Holy Spirit who makes us fruitful as we use the opportunities given to us. And finally, here's our last verse for the day as we complete the study of Titus. Verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15. Everybody here sends greetings. Please give my greetings to the believers, all who love us. May God's grace be with you all. The question is, how does Paul end this letter? Well, first, Paul sends his greetings to the believers from his current location, and he sends his greetings to Titus and other believers throughout the island of Crete as well. This is likely an encouragement to have the entire letter read in all of the local churches of Crete. Finally, Paul ends with his usual phrase, God's grace be with you all. If there was one word that summarized Paul's life, ministry, and even his death, it would be the word grace. Grace expressed Paul's eternal life as a man who would be with Christ forever, experiencing his grace in heaven alongside of all of God's people. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our study of the book of Titus. I hope the study of First and Second Timothy and Titus has been a blessing to you, these pastoral epistles, if you will, 
incredible teaching, not only for the ministers of being Timothy and Titus and others, but it's so applicable for us today. I hope this has been encouraging to you and it's challenged you by what we've studied throughout this book and the others as well. Next time, we'll begin a study of Philemon, where the Apostle Paul has a lot to say regarding division and reconciliation among the believers. Thanks so much again for joining me today. What a blessing it is to be with you. Hope you have a great rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here again next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church, real people, a real God, real hope.